Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. I could say good morning again because I r- recorded a minute or so there without the mic, so I'm sorry, Tom. It's okay. Good morning. It's a steep hill, man. Well, it's been a few weeks since we've done this, and of course, we were at the beach last week, and you know, you know how that goes. Brian's here. Good morning, Brian. Hey, y'all. We're going to talk about cotton and, and what's going on with the cotton crop. Brian, before we start, are you boys, have they started playing football? Or have they started football practice? Yeah, two out of three have. Two um, out of three. The oldest, he's going into seventh grade, and he's practiced since June, three oh, days wow. a week, and now he's doing five days. And then Val, the middle son, is peewee football. He practices three days a week. See, that's unbelievable. It's the last week of July at a practice in peewee football. Oh, I know. We did, I mean, even in high school, I don't think we started till first of August. Yeah, maybe, yeah, first of August, two weeks before school, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Of course, school starts in the middle of summer now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. But still, I mean, I know in junior high we were not practicing all summer. Heck, I had to work. Yeah, we lifted weights and stuff. I mean, I remember driving over, you know, like at six in the evening or something to yeah. do that. It just seems different. But anyway. So back down in your football career, what was your crowning achievement as a football player? Oh, I got this one. Well, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, It was my best game. It was against Oak Grove, Louisiana, senior year. You know, back then, it wasn't social media. You had to wait on the paper on Sunday. Right. (laughs) I mean, I led the team with tackles, (laughs) played linebacker. I mean, I was so fired up. Good game, tough team. Oak Grove were, was good back then. Oh, yeah. They, they, were, they were punishing. Yeah. My worst concussion came the year before that. Uh, <laughs> so when I opened the paper, the person got, you know, my name is probably not the easiest to pronounce. I see it all kind of different <laughs> ways. But this was the worst. Angus, he was Angus says he had spelled your name right yet. Yeah. Well, this is even worse because it's unrecognizable. <laughs> like leading the St. Joe Irish was Brian Peter hyphen Alisi. <laughs> like two words. <laughs> I was like, well, there we go. Nobody knows. <laughs> that was worth the story talk. That was, we could stop the podcast right now, <laughs> couldn't we? That's, I mean, I, obviously this time of the year, Brian, there's a lot to talk about in the cotton crop. And that, you know, you, you alluded to the fact we were gone for a week before we started recording. And that's how things have changed and definitely look a lot better. And I know that you get the questions that some of us don't get. But why don't you just give us a brief rundown of some of the more impo- important topics that you're getting from uh, telephone calls yeah. right now? Okay. I guess the number one important has been people are just concerned with the size of their cotton. It's not growing. I think just the dry, hot weather we've been having has a lot to do with that. We're stacking nodes a little closer than we would on a wet year. I guess a lot of people are saying, how can I make it grow? I mean, we're kind of late in the year. And you know that I've had several calls about, is nitrogen going to help? I mean, should we should I put nitrogen? But, you know, we look at our, gro- our uptake curve. You know, we're in most cases – well past mid-bloom in basically early bowl fields. So our nitrogen from the ground that we're pulling is, is really leveling off and starting to decline. So unless it's a year like last year where we obviously leached or denitrified, you're probably going to cause – you're going to spend more money and cause more problems than you are going to see a yield advantage to you putting that nitrogen out now. You know, obviously there could be some cases where it volatilized, but if you're not showing any symptomology that's – pretty extensive i've been trying to steer them off that i don't go everywhere and and see everything 
particularly as we get, you know, latter parts of the summer because that's not the time for weed control, so I'm not on the road as much. But I feel like two two things that I see. One, I feel like the crop is a little bit shorter, stature. Yeah, uh, and then And then two, I feel like it's a little bit further on. So I see more fields that see the blooms in the top in July. I feel like recently I remember saying the same thing that it, it felt like I was seeing more blooms earlier, but I don't remember if that was last year or, or a, a yeah. year or two before that. So well, last year, take this the week after MAIC, I mean, that's whenever the cotton crop actually looked like a cotton crop. Right. Um, and, I mean, we were had so much cloudy weather, so much rain. We bloomed and generally later, and we made up a lot of ground in the late July. Like that's the last why I was thinking in August. that observation wasn't last year. It had to be yeah. a, a, a different year. Whereas this year, we were blooming – in a lot of places, 15th, 20th of June, and some of that cotton was five weeks without a rain at that point, bloomed for another 10 days, and it was one note above white flower, 15-node cotton. I mean, that's probably the worst-case scenario that we saw a fair amount of that, but I'd say the crop's just highly variable. I mean, you have some, looks like your standard cotton, you know, year in and year out, looks great, caught rains, possibly can water it, whatever reason, uh, started off good, and then you you have some that just, you know, water is limiting, especially if you can't irrigate. And, it, you know, it's a drought-tolerant crop to some degree, but you got to have some. But with that being said, I would say fruit retention has been phenomenal. Some years when you get droughts, you start shedding fruit. But I think we started with the drought, and the crop's done everything it can to, you know, hold on to what it's making. And then, obviously, it's going to shed, shed what it can't hold. But at this point, it's been good. I, I think the the danger lurking in the background would be if we got cloudy and wet in August and we could see some shed, but that would I think would be you know higher in the canopy. Can't really worry about that now. But by and large, I mean fruit retention's been great. So even with shorter statured cotton, I wouldn't rule the crop out. I still think we have a chance to make pretty good crop, but August is going to be the deciding well, factor. Well, with cotton, August seems like it's always kind of the telltale mm-hmm. of, of where it ends up. Across the acres, I know last year we were pretty spread out and a lot of that related to planting, but are we more compressed this year on our where we're at just across the geography? Are we on a shorter time? I don't know what, you, know, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, well, even though – so you go to North Delta, it stayed wet there during planting season. Right. You know, and that was like the only wet spot in the state. For the and, last however many yeah. years it's done that. And then they, and they started planting later. Their cotton, it, it is a little further behind. It's making up ground, so to speak, just due to the fact that we've had very little cloudy weather. You know, we've maxed out our pretty much our heat units every day for the, the whole month of June and most of July. So not that it's, it's just we didn't waste any days. Like right. last year, we had a lot of days where there was little to no heat unit accumulation. And I think when you add that up over the summer, I think that's where we're going to run into possibly. It appears to me we're going to have an earlier crop than we've had in the past. I saw a thing on, I think it was on Twitter yesterday, uh, some weather guy, I follow, I think he's in Little Rock, but they had had, they've already had 12 days over 100 degrees in Little Rock. We haven't had that here. Tom may could comment on that, but it's definitely been hot. We've definitely maxed out the, the heat units, and we hadn't had any really cloudy weather either. I mean, it's mm-hmm. been full sun plus the heat. For once, I've not done a very good job of paying attention to what the temperatures and the rainfall have done, but I can tell you just 
based on general observation, it's not rained near as much this year as it did last oh, year. And it no definitely question. has been substantially warmer for a more extended period of time than what it was last year. And the rains have been so spotty. spotty yeah. And then almost repetitive on the places that have gotten it. So you got the guys who have been getting rain, and you have the same guy, other guys that – have gotten very little or maybe one or two or just starting to get rains. Spotty from the standpoint that if you consider just on this experiment station, and this is a great example, I tend to pay attention to those weather stations we have. And Jason had said the other day, it rained there really. I only got a tenth at home. I said rain in Stoneville ranged from four tenths to over an inch. Just here. Just here (laughs) on this piece of ground. And that's fairly common across this experiment station like the railroad tracks if you know stoneville Mm -hmm. seems to delineate where you end up with rain south side some years it's more north side some years it's more and that's what it has tended to do again this year at my house so out closer to the bridge i mean i've had a half inch in the last four weeks maybe uh and that's split over more than one rain maybe two rain events, but here, I mean, it's rain nearly every week, and that is very different than years past. I mean, a lot of times people tease about the Stoneville weather hole, and then they do. Those rains split when they hit the river a lot of times right here on this latitude for some reason, but that hadn't been the case this year. And then, like Brian said, it's just I'll I'll, I'll talk to somebody, and then I'll kind of feel foolish because – you know, maybe we got a big rain here, and then they didn't get a drop. I'm like, oh, sorry, man. I thought it was more generalized than that, but they just hadn't been for the last several weeks. They've just been real spotty. Yeah, and you can definitely tell the difference in the cotton crop across the state, the places that have received a little bit more rain than others because there are some places that it tends to look really dry just driving by and looking yeah, at the cotton. Yeah, you can tell. Like, if you go north of West Point, that area has just been dry from probably – May 20th until the week before we left. I mean, it was just dry. Very little rainfall in, in that area. And even south of 82, but they're starting to get some rains through there. You'd said something before we started recording about differences in mature, maturity across varieties within cotton. Do you have any additional comments on that and how that may relate to earliness of our crop this year? If you have a more indeterminate variety, I think it's and not just very specific, not specific varieties, but just as groups, like variety groups, you know, your early maturing, mid, full. There's not as much flexibility with the early maturing varieties. So they, if they were planted on time, started off good, you know, everything was great, but then they hit that dry spell. I don't think there's as much flexibility to recover when you compare it to a mid to a more full season variety. This might not be the telltale sign, but in terms of yield performance, Just having that flexibility in a drought-stressed year, just a stressed year in general, I think that might show up, you know, in the in the variety trials and just in yield in general. But then again, if you if you had an earlier season variety and caught rains, it might not make any difference. So it's tough to tell what you know, like what's going to perform the best this year. I mean, I've got a lot of questions about how is this variety looking or this. Well, it depends on where it is. I mean. (laughs) Depends on what field you're looking at it in. Well, and I I tell folks, I'm as blind as I can be once I get into the season. I I plant like, take the variety trial, for example. We plant two sets to inoculate with bacterial blight. And I set it up in the beginning. And then I put the seed together and I basically throw the sheet away. I, I don't want to know what's where or anything else because I don't want to influence 
my eyes as I walk those plots. I don't want to know what's out there, and and I can't keep up with all the soybean varieties and the corn hybrids and the cotton varieties to even know what I'm looking at because the numbers are so different and everything else. And then you throw in some different companies. So I tend to just not pay attention to that. Brian, those categories that you mentioned, what are our guys trending towards or maybe just collectively over the the time you've been doing this job? Are we headed in a direction or are we kind of in a track right now that we're staying in? I'd say early mid to mid season is probably the most popular. I don't think you have a lot of really early, but you know, you're talking about difference of 15 to 20 days in maturity. Um, there are some that plant the fuller season, but I'd say that's probably on the end of the bell curve. Most are planting mid, late mid. I mean, but nothing super full. Another term I've heard you and a couple other guys mention that I don't necessarily associate with cotton is determinate and indeterminate. So when I think about cotton being an indeterminate plant. I mean, it's a tree. Describe to me what you're Meaning when you describe a determinate versus an indeterminate type, I, I know they're yeah. not. I know they're not full blown yeah. indeterminate or determinate. The way I interpret that is one that has a potential to grow longer throughout the season. A less indeterminate would be an earlier season variety versus a fuller season variety would be less determinate in general. Like you know, it can keep going. It can grow longer. Less apt to start blooming out of the top earlier. I got you. The one question then that obviously comes to mind, and we all were, were talking about listening to Mahaffey last week at the MAIC, and we've had Jay in for a couple of podcasts recently, but how does the weather now with the hot and dry conditions, how is that going to impact or influence our use of PGRs this season? I think that uh, using the, the PGRs' importance is to start early, to stay in a proactive state versus a reactive state. And that's how we're talking about getting the um, the canopy architecture that you most desire from a disease standpoint and, and just overall just more efficient to uh, your insecticides, you know, just a more efficient plant for harvest in all reasons. And um, I think a mistake some people make is they're so worried about it growing slow that they don't want to put any picks on it. But, I mean, you don't have to put a full rate, but introducing it early can oftentimes keep you in a proactive state obviously we have the cues when you look from the fourth and fifth node down trying to keep that two to three inches and all and, and all that and then if, if it gets out of hand what you see like you're like last year when all of a sudden it started wanting to grow it tapped in the nitrogen then you're starting to have to beat it down to keep it where you want it but when you get to this point of the season with the kind of weather we've had if you let's say you put eight to ten ounces out early and you maybe did it one more time and you got and you're where you want to be and you have a good bowl load, then that's gonna that's a good PGR in itself, just keeping everything together. And then just looking at the, the cues, if you're not switching out of reproductive mode, you know, you're you're probably good at this point in the year. From where I sit as a plant pathologist, the whole management of the canopy architecture can be important in years where it ends up being wet. The one thing I would add is as hot and dry as it's been my number of telephone calls about cotton diseases have been more related to nematode pressure and issues as related to that. And then the strange instance of a bacterial blight telephone call here and there, which have not been as common this year. Yeah. 
but I, and I think when we talk about canopy architecture, first thing that pops into our head is, is target spot conversation. And then, you know, if you pay much attention to the farm press, you hear what's going on in South Alabama, South Georgia with the whole aerolite mildew conversation, not a disease that's real common in Mississippi. We do run across it occasionally in South Mississippi, but again, it's a wet year disease. It's not been a wet year, save for probably some small isolated geographies. So I think that's important to point out that, yeah. And like you just mentioned, uh, with the nematodes, we have a lot of differences in plant heights across the field. And a lot of guys are saying, put a little more nitrogen out there, maybe make it grow. Well, on a really dry year, if you have uh, a nematode population you weren't aware of, because you've had, you know, wet years where plenty of nutrient availability, it wasn't really showing up. Well, this year, that's where you're going to see those nematodes flying under the radar and nitrogen is not going to help that. Well, and there's no easy fix. That That's the one thing that, that I try to keep in the back of my mind and sometimes not come out because that can occasionally sound like a real flippant point to make that, that people don't want to hear that. But managing nematodes is not easy. One, you have to know they're there. And I think in a hot, dry year, you do see nematode pressure a lot more regularly as you drive up and down the road. And I've seen and had a lot more conversations with soybean farmers than in the past. But nematodes are the one thing that I think probably impacts almost every cotton field. And it's something we've not done a good job testing for. We've not done a real religious job getting in there and doing soil sampling because it's something not a lot of people want to do. I get it. From a standpoint of proactively managing that for the future, you need to know which nematode is impacting you or influencing your crop. And then you can do a better job deciding either A, should I rotate to something else or do I need to pick a variety that has a good resistance package to that particular nematode? I agree with that. We could go around and around and around. I know the samples cost you know, $11 at Mississippi State, but I promise you if you have a high nematode population in your field, you're losing $11. So taking that sample and sending it off to see what you have, because throwing additional nitrogen at it, whether you're putting that out as dry fertilizer or you're trying to do that as a foliar product, is not going to fix the problem that's root associated. That, that's just not, that's not how that's done. And unfortunately, there's not a simple fix for those things unless you know you have a problem. And driving up and down the road, you can tell we have a problem. Well, it's not simple if you know it's there either. No, that's exactly right. And that's that's the hard part about it because it, it takes several management strategies and it takes a good uh, number of years to reduce those populations. Corn is the best alternative for reniform. It's not an alternative for root knot. And I think there's a lot of confusion out there about that particular topic because I hear that all the time. Well, if I rotate to corn, I'm like, which nematode do you have? Well, I have root knot. Well, that's not a good management. That's not proactively managing. That's proactively increasing your root knot population. We talked to Whitney last week about insects seem to be on a lot of acres headed towards getting to the end of that, which is good. So, just over the next three, four weeks, what do guys need to be thinking about just in general management-wise? Yeah, water management, if, if you can. I think that's important, you know, and you can overwater. I mean, we're start, I'd say, from peak bloom and transitioning into bowl fill and early bowl fill. I mean, you know, we're definitely needing to manage water when we can. Managing, uh, we have probably two or three weeks on average left on uh, insect pressure. Just try to get to the middle of august and, and see where we are 
Brian, thanks for the time. No, thanks it, for having me. It's, it's always fantastic to see you. You um, too. Y'all as well. We'll hope the rest of the cotton season will hold together. We definitely continue to appreciate the comments, suggestions, topics, you know, the text messages that come regarding the podcast. That's something we really appreciate. We want to continue to do it. So keep up those comments, good, bad, or otherwise. And again, you know, if you need any of us one-on-one consultations about something, please pick up the phone, call one of us, send us a text, track us down on Twitter. We're more than happy to help. That's what we're here for in the extension service. And as soon as we get done, I hit stop. I'm changing your name to Peter Elise. Oh, God. In my phone. <laughs> I just gave it up. <laughs> Peter Elise. Thanks, buddy. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension. 